0: They are just rough drafts. A glimpse of what is to come because God is still at work, writing plot twists, introducing new characters, and bringing good even from the most challenging circumstances. Join us as we see what God is up to in our stories. Here's your host, Matthew Hyatt.
1: People from Texas always tell me that it's the best place on the earth. But the problem is all of the people who tell me that are people who have moved from Texas to Tennessee which is clearly the superior place. And I have already made today's guest throw up a little by saying that. She is one of our Texas transplants. She is super special. She's had a career in and around the medical world, taking care of a lot of things in the office. She's got some pretty cool grandkids not too far down the road. She has a husband who has one of the best mustaches I have ever seen. Today, you get to hear from my friend, Lisa Wesson. Lisa, thanks for coming. You're
2: welcome, Matthew.
1: You know, I texted you and asked you about this, and you said yes in like 30 seconds. I want you to know that you are a unicorn because <laughs> a lot of people are terrified of doing this. And I am so excited that you voluntarily said, I'll come come talk today. Uh, so ha- why are you a yes?
2: I am because I have waited so long to feel good about telling my story and have dealt with some shame over the years, have dealt with embarrassment, inferiority, comparison, and God has worked mightily in my life in that area. And I don't think he expects me to sit around now. Oh wow. Out of insecurity. He he expects me to share my story. And I'm happy to share it. I'm excited.
1: Okay, so it. don't hit me for this. But sometimes I get asked why I haven't had more younger guests on the show, why a lot of our guests are retired. And one of the answers I've given is sometimes my younger people haven't had time to work through their story enough to be ready to tell it. And what I think I hear you saying is you've done some of the work and God's done a lot of work and you're ready to tell it.
2: That's right. And at my house, we call that life experience. Yeah. And when we think about the changes that have happened in our life in in 10 year increments of course we don't think the way we did when we were in our 20s and 30s but i often talk to paul about knowledge at this age in our life and i look back and i don't know that i'm 100% right in saying this but god other than jesus did not often pick men in their 30s to do his work <laughs> and right. when i think about the old testament moses uh, Abraham, they were not young people when God called them. Uh, David was a young king, but he he made a lot of mistakes. Yeah. So I just think that that he has a purpose in us waiting sometimes to share our story.
1: Yeah, uh, yeah. There's there's some of our our kids. I, I like the little kids episodes; they're fun. But uh, sometimes I want to know what's this one to look like in five more years or ten more years. I understand. Well, so what's your God story?
2: Okay, well, I grew up in South Georgia in a pretty dysfunctional home. I, uh, was, my father was a raging alcoholic. Not all alcoholics are fun. He was not a fun alcoholic. And I'm the youngest of four children. My mother had five, chi- uh, four children, I'm sorry, four children within five years. So, uh, and an alcoholic husband. So it was a hard life. And we were poor. Uh, I, I get so tickled from that song about we were so poor, that, but we didn't know we were poor. Well, we knew we were poor. Yeah, We, we were real sure <laughs> that we were no poor. Doubt. But my mother got up every Sunday morning. She got the four of us ready to go to church. She didn't have a vehicle. And this was in the 60s. So women were poor coming around to, into their own in the area, in the area that I grew up. She got us ready for church. Uh, my father took us to church because he was usually sober on Sunday mornings. He picked us up. He didn't go, but he would pick us up. He would do the same thing on Sunday night. But as I got older and his alcoholism got worse, many times he didn't come get us. And we would literally be standing on the street corner with no, you know, my mother with four kids. I, when I was young, young, I didn't know enough to be embarrassed. As I got older, I did. But now that I'm an adult, I look back and I think what courage and commitment my mother had to God to do that for us. We also went on Wednesday night, just like most everybody in our generation, there was Sunday mornings, you know, the little phrase you hear so often. We were there when the church doors were open, and we we were as much as she could get us. So I I grew up in a a hard childhood. Uh, Everything I am, I owe to my mother as far as teaching me about commitment to God. She certainly made plenty of mistakes. She did the best she could with what she had, and she, uh, I, I don't know how I don't know how she physically and financially managed. She didn't have a vehicle until I was in high school. And she didn't work outside the home until I was in high school. And she eventually left him, and they divorced. And uh, she made a better life for herself after that. However, the wounds that come with that last for many, many years. Yeah, And I knew when I graduated from high school, I knew I've always had a fear of God, but not a healthy fear. Okay. And I can remember graduating from high school and very much still wanting to do the right thing to please God, but I didn't have the skills to make good relationship decisions. Okay. And that led me into an area of connecting with someone that was just like my daddy and was not good to me.
1: I love the way you said that. Um, I didn't have the skills to make good relationship decisions. It amazes me how often we meet people who don't have emotional skills and relationship skills because you, you sort of take them for granted if you have any of them. Right. But the number of people who, if you grow up in a dysfunctional environment or, or, or even if it's just not necessarily dysfunctional but it's not what your family knows i'm thinking about a couple i met a long time ago they don't go to burns don't worry you know and just great people but you could tell that they they didn't know how to be with other people and it was just it made everything in life 10 times
2: harder than it had to be it does and it it isn't just one person in the family it's when there is an alcoholic Everything rotates around that alcoholic, and my mother didn't know how to get off the merry-go-round of craziness that comes with living with an alcoholic, and she also had four children that she needed to put food in their mouth, and it's so easy now in this era to say, I don't know why you stayed with him. Well, she stayed with him because she didn't have a way to take care of her children. What's going to do? Exactly, especially in that era. Yeah,
1: in, and in the prevailing views about divorce in that era, even if he is the the biggest creep in the world, right? And nobody were made to just take it.
2: Nobody reported abuse like they do now, so things were very very hard for her. As and I as when I'm the youngest, she waited until a year I graduated to leave him. She always said, "When I get my youngest child out of high school." I, will, I want all my children to have a high school education. And she did literally the month that I graduated from high school. She left him. And it's, it pains me to say that within just a short amount of time, I met somebody just like him that I wound up marrying. And the craziness of alcoholism is there is no logic and when you're the codependent person, you can be just as without logic as the addict can be. And we danced a very unhealthy dance together.
1: So, so describe that lack of logic for me.
2: That lack of logic is knowing that somebody can't control their drinking and they're not going to provide a good home for you and they're not being faithful to you and you marry them anyway. Yeah. And you or dishonest with yourself about it because you watched this happen. It's the only role model that you watched growing up. And where I'd like to think that those are big red flags, now I would see them, but then I didn't. I didn't know. And it's taken a lot of forgiveness of myself to make such unwise choices. Okay, but...
1: Let me play devil's advocate for you. Um, what attracted you to him?
2: I think that I was lonely, and I think that there was just a spark of rebellion. Yeah, I was young enough to still have a little bit of rebellion in me to not to be totally disobedient to God, but I would I could I could fix him, I could change him, I could uh, I could love him to the point where he would straighten up as I like to call it and it was it was not it was not a marriage it was basically two people living together and me uh, helping us survive
1: Man. so those were some tough years for you those
2: were tough years for me and I stayed with him I was uh, chose to have a child because looking back i if I'm honest with myself I know that I knew if I had a child, I would have one person that loved me that nobody could take away oh, wow. from me. And it was not the right reason to have a child, but it is the number one thing that came out of that relationship that was positive. Wow. And when she was eight months old, I something kicked in. God took the veil off of my eyes and I knew I did not want my child raised the way that I was raised. So I left him and divorced and stayed single for nine years before I met Paul and married Paul. So in in that nine years, my career was presented to me in such a way at the hospital where I worked that there is absolutely no way that without a college education and having just worked, started working at 17 years old at a hospital, making $2.40 an hour, and within just a very short amount of time after I divorced, I was presented a job offer in management, and my career took off without one single bit of education past high school. And that is nothing but God taking care of
1: me. God's providence through through the hospital system.
2: Yeah, yeah. And uh, there are so many things. I know all of us in life can say that, but I can specifically say, like the song says, had it not been the Lord who was on my side, we would have perished. We would have surely died. And I feel that that is, I can't, I cannot imagine something like that happening in my life without God. Yeah.
1: Oh, that's something. Yeah. So what did faith look like during these years? You told me about when you were a kid, oh, you, kind of, you did the church thing, and you just yeah. told me a little bit about a hint of rebellion, not, not defiant rebellion.
2: No, no, Un- unhealthy uh, choices, and I hate to say ignorance, but in some ways, ignorance. Faith as a child for me was, I didn't understand, but I was a compliant child, I made good grades and I knew better than to cause any trouble in, in my home. Uh and so my faith was pretty much what you would expect a child that goes to church every Sunday to do. They did the they good did kid. the right thing, a good kid. You the memory version went to church, you didn't get in trouble. Yes. And as I got to be a teenager, uh, you know, a little bit a little bit curious, but not, not really curious. Well, Immediately after I realized the mistake of my marriage, I gravitated to God. I latched on to Him and held on to Him for dear life. I didn't understand a lot of um, theology. I didn't understand. I never understood growing up the term Son of God. I never understood the relationship of Jesus and God. I can honestly say that it was almost like if you need glasses and you know that there's something out there and it's fuzzy, but you don't know what it is. And that's how I felt my relationship about Jesus was. I knew that God was the be-all, end-all. I wasn't real sure. I knew what I got told how Jesus fit in, but I didn't understand. And I only talked about it or read about because I knew I was supposed to. Right. Now, having said all that, during that time when I was struggling in that first marriage so, so greatly, I I did a little Bible studies the best I could. And I would, you know, have scriptures in my office, but they were still, they were in my head and not in my heart. Wow. Yeah. And, but God still never took his hand off of me during that time. And Because there was such alcoholism growing up and in that first marriage, I wound up uh, going to Al-Anon, and I had an Al-Anon sponsor who was a devout Christian, and she helped me tremendously and asked me to come to church with her. And I won't get into denominations and all of that, but my mother was not happy (laughs) that I made that change. You went
1: to the wrong church.
2: Yeah, I did not go to the church that she... Raised me in, right. but this lady had a huge influence on my life, and with her encouragement and her support, I was able to leave my first husband and make a better life for Rachel. And at the same time, she she was uh, she was very wise. I didn't always agree with her view of uh, church but she was still very wise and she taught me a lot about faith. So I rambled along for several years working and, um, go, I never stopped going to church. Now, was my heart in the right place? I don't know. I was going out of fear. I was going out of duty. Uh, I knew I didn't want to go back to the way that I was living. And I met Paul at church in Fort Worth. And, uh, He was, I've never had a man be as considerate and kind to me in my life as Paul was. The very first date that we had, he, I mentioned something about having a small headache. He could not find a store fast enough to get some aspirin for Mm. me or some Tylenol. I have never had anybody in my life treat me and, and be kind to me and put me first as Paul. Has, and now we've been married 32 years. 32 years. Yes, yeah. So I married him when my daughter was nine, and um, those were some hard years with a a second marriage and a a child that had had her mother all her life, and all of a sudden here comes a cowboy ready to to move in. That's right. (laughs) Yeah. And now she has to share mommy. Yeah, yeah, those were some hard years, and Paul was good to her. Paul was good to her. Um, so rocked along with church. Uh, we of course went to church as a family and I can remember getting on my knees and praying, you know what, God, this is by now I'm probably 35. I don't understand Jesus. I know I'm supposed to, I know that I get, I I hear all this, I read all this, but I don't get it. And asking God to show me. What I am supposed to, how am I supposed to understand this? And within just a short amount of time, an option to go to a Bible study was presented to me, and I won't get into the terms of it. I don't think we're supposed to, so anyway, it's BSF. Uh, it used to be called Bible Study Fellowship, yeah. but this was still in Texas, and it changed my world. And the second year I was in it, we studied the Book of Romans. Okay. And Romans will mess you up, man. Romans will noodle your head. And it was hard. It was it was a hard study. At first it was so negative. I thought, oh my goodness, those first two or three chapters are just about You're a bunch of sinners. Exactly. Saying, yeah, and whistle. depraved and um, you know, I'm gonna turn you over to your sin. And as we got more into it, we got into um, justification or propitiation and all of those things were like putting on a pair of glasses that gave me 20-20 vision about Jesus being the incarnate God. I never understood that, and I was embarrassed to think, everybody else got it. But I've stopped comparing yep. over the years. For whatever reason, it took me that long, and it it was life-changing you know, for me.
1: Okay, I know you said you don't want to compare, but let's play a little of this game. I don't know that people get that as much as you want to think people get that, because you can see the light go off when, you know, you just use some of the biggest big church words, (laughs) propitiation, (laughs) sanctification, justification, Um, and, and, you know, there are people who are listening who just glazed over because we started using church words, Uh, but those words are incredibly deep, incredibly powerful, and I don't know that anyone's ready to understand those words until they've been through some of what you've been through um
2: that's a good way to look at it
1: and i don't i'm going to probably over speak here but you know one of the things that i struggle with is how do we teach our kids you know my kids are 10 and 8 um being justified to the imputed righteousness of jesus christ when their concept of guilt is they got yelled at for being mean to each other um and I don't minimize that because that's very real to them. Right. But when you sit here and you and I are looking at each other, and I think what it was like to be living with an alcoholic times two, and then when you think about what depravity looks like and what what sin looks like, and even the concept in Romans where it says God gave them over to their, in some micro level, your mom had to give your dad over to that, and you had to give your first husband— you you walked through some of romans with the people you lived with that's uh-huh. right so I, I don't i don't know if we i don't know if we can understand those things until we walked through
2: well and you're right and if it's that difficult to understand as an adult how, how what words can you choose to explain that to a child other than i very few people told us how much god loved us but they didn't it, I never got that, you know, if you don't straighten up, you're going to die and go to hell kind of thing by anybody in my family. We were too busy surviving. Yeah. But the church that I grew up in was just like any other church. Guilt was a, guilt was a tool, yeah. but, but I also know I am who I am because of those things that I learned in church. So you're talking about little kids. I don't think that we can... Get that deep with them because they're not capable of understanding, but I think if I had to if I had to do it over again, raising my child, I would definitely be specific and intentional about telling them not to be afraid of God mm. or telling her not to be afraid of God, because I think an unhealthy I had an unhealthy fear of God for many, many years, and then once those glasses got put on and everything became so clear I wish I could tell you that the fear went away the fear of God quickly but that happened to me in another decade in life and I kept going and I kept learning and I became more um more understanding of it but I read a book by Brennan Manning called Ragamuffin Gospel. It was another life-changing event for me. He talked about God running after us, and most of my life, if not all of it, was me thinking that God was standing there with his arms crossed and rolling his eyes and thinking, you know, are you going to ever get it together? Or... That I was barely, I was just barely going to make it to heaven. And there was no teaching of abundant life. Mm. And so that book was life-changing for me, for me to learn or to begin to learn how much God runs after me and how much He is never going to let me go. Even those words that I'd heard growing up, they, be- they became clear through that book to me and i don't know how much you know about brendan manning
1: i've read the book
2: and yeah. he uh, he died he is dead now but he Just recently too what was it in the in last, the last few years, years mm-hmm, and he was an alcoholic and struggled with it up until his death but he is an example of mercy in a way that i had never been been told and um I I look back, and of course, after I loved that book so much, I read everything that he wrote. And while I don't agree with a lot of his doctrine, with his Catholic background, I still respect much of what he said.
1: Anybody who points you to the grace of God, I just have to appreciate.
2: And he, um, it was just, it was like having my cup filled in a way that I had never had it filled before. And as a matter of fact, before I forget, I wonder, and I think this is out of another book. It wasn't Ragamuffin Gospel, but it says, Lord, I, craw- I crawled across the barrenness to you with my empty cup. If only I'd known you better, I would have come running with a bucket. Oh, wow. And I'm almost tearing up thinking that, but I think about all the years I felt like I had a thimble. I was running to God with a thimble, and if only I'd known, I would have come running with a bucket, and my life would be overflowing even more. So, that book has led to many other books that I've read, and also I think the church that we went to in Texas and this church are more grace centered, probably than anything I've ever been around, and and. I'm not condoning when people, of course, do wrong. We hear that so often. But I do know that if God's going to—my opinion is if God is going to err on the side of anything, it's going to be on the side of grace.
1: And I ought to as well.
2: Exactly. Exactly. And so um, I think that compassion is something— that I, I know I would not have compassion for other people that I have had I not grown up the way that I yeah. that I grew up.
1: Well, even in you telling this story, um, you, you've told your story kind of matter-of-factly. Um, your dad did a lot of damage, mm-hmm. and your first husband did a lot of damage. But I don't hear you glossing over that. But I also don't see you seething with bitterness and hurt today, mm-hmm. and I think that these ragamuffin lessons are
2: oh, absolutely, how that's possible. absolutely, and you know, time time heals, but there's always a scar. And I had something that came up in my life with uh, a family member in Georgia back in I'm going to say 2013, 14 that opened up some of those old wounds and I quickly learned that I am still still can be very very vulnerable yeah. and that experience and trying to deal with those wounds after they opened again caused me even more to come with that bucket runner for God yeah. instead of that cup
1: I feel like we need to hand out buckets one Sunday <laughs> <laughs>
2: for that story,
1: get some communion cups.
2: Yeah, yeah. yeah because I, um, I'm just so thankful that it's out of my that my relationship with God is out of my head and into my into my heart. It was always in His heart. I just didn't have the skills or the knowledge or the. It just wasn't the timing. Yeah. For all of that, but it is entirely different
1: when it becomes not a matter of, of rules or policy, oh, but when it becomes relationship.
2: Absolutely, and when I think about the rules and the regulations, I think about the hospital and all of the surveys that we went through and all of the people that are, are in a hospital environment know about joint commission. And I used to, and I compare this to sometimes with legalism that you do all these things to get ready before the inspection every three years when you're supposed to be doing that all the time. Right. Well it's unsustainable.
1: It becomes about performance for an evaluation than it does a standard of care.
2: Yes. Yes. And I I want my I want my motives to be out of love and not out of fear. And when I realized that I knew that was that was another life changing moment for me. He doesn't need me. I need him. I can remember sitting in BSF one night during that Roman study, and someone, I guess it was our teaching leader, said, you cannot add anything to God. All you can do is worship him. You cannot add one single thing to God. And I I know that I felt like, as a young adult, that God needed me more than I needed him. He needed me to do right. He needed me to be the one that you know, lifted up the world and performed everything just perfectly. And what a relief to get out of that.
1: I heard the line one time when somebody said, I feel like I've really let God down. The answer was, you're not holding him up. And, you know, we were sophisticated enough, I think, that we didn't ever, we never said it because we would have recognized the error, I think, if we said it out loud. We would not have said, God depends on me. If you had said to me, I believe God depends on me, I would have said, no, you you know better than that. Mm -hmm. But it was in a lot of our thinking that if I don't straighten up and fly right, if I don't get it right, if I don't hold together our marriage, if I don't fix his alcoholism, if my kids don't do good in school, if, 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 I am a failure and I am unlovable.
2: And unlovable is a key word. And, of course, we could get into all the dynamics of alcoholism. But So many people I know that did not grow up the way I grew up, and they still don't feel loved by God. And I don't mean to minimize or discount the price that Jesus paid for my salvation, but I know He wants me to love Him more than He does me to be afraid of Him and make my decisions and my devotion out of fear and guilt instead of... Instead of compassion and love.
1: You know, the verse that I like to preach, and you've heard it a thousand times already since you've been in Burns, is in Philippians. The verse that says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And I, I've heard that, and man, it's a scary verse. And it's a you got to, man, if, if you're going to be saved, you're just barely going to do it. And you better make sure you're not wrong about something. But that verse ends with a comma, not a period. And the next phrase is so vital. Work out your salvation for, with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do according to his good pleasure.
2: His good pleasure. And there was, I spent so many years waiting for the other shoe to fall, mm-hmm. which is, it makes me sad when I look back at it. I'm, I'm just so, it makes me sad and it makes me thankful that I'm not that way anymore. But it was just always just one, a little bit short of doing everything that God, I thought he wanted me to do or. Um, what makes me think that I'm the one that can make you do the right thing, Matthew? Yeah. What makes me think that, I mean, I look at back at that now, but there was so much shame and guilt from so many years of poor decisions in my life that if I could just almost fix you, then God would look at me and say, Okay, so you're getting it together now.
1: Your guilt and shame almost made it where if you could fix someone, it atoned for your sin.
2: In an unhealthy way. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So now I just look at you and I think, I think a lot of things, but I think <laughs> <laughs> None of no, are I was able ever. to look. At, I had lunch today with a lady that's that's struggling hard with some some difficult things. And in another era of my life, I would have thought I need to fix her. I need to fix her, and then, you know, then I will be doing what God wants me to do. All God wants me to do is be her friend. He doesn't expect me to go in and pick up the pieces. And you know what? He has a plan for her that he can work out without me being her Holy Spirit and her guide through all of that. God for
1: her. Yeah, I don't have to. Yeah, you know, sometimes we say we need to be Jesus to people,
2: and I appreciate the spirit of that line, but it puts us in far too... Well oh, no, boy, are aren't you kidding? Anybody. Aren't you kidding? I just always want to make sure that I don't minimize or or um, trivialize the price right, that was paid for my sin. And but I don't think he put us here to be miserable. No, no, no. And, you know, holiness is important. Good decisions make
1: life better and easier and... God wants us to make good decisions, for sure. But when we become the policemen for each other, the yeah. thing people don't realize is it doesn't increase the number of good decisions made. It seems to me to actually increase the number of bad decisions. Because when you're looking at life through the legal lens, you're looking for the
2: loophole rather than wisdom. Absolutely. And we do a lot of mental gymnastics with those Man. with those loopholes. Absolutely. So, yeah. You know, what would your
1: relationships have looked like would you have ended up in that relationship if you had felt loved by God? This guy who comes in and takes advantage of you, I don't know that you would have been in that situation.
2: I may not have.
1: I mean, who can say it, honestly?
2: Yeah. All I know is when I look back, I I know that um, he has been my portion, even when I didn't even know I needed a portion. He was my portion. And now I have Paul who could not be any better of a husband and a, a nurturing person. So he he knew what he was doing all along. God did. I didn't. Mm. God is good. He is good. He's good all the time. And um, you, we were talking earlier at the beginning of this about comparing yeah. things. And I spent a lot of my life as a child comparing. I knew that we didn't have what a lot of other people had, and yeah. something went right. But I, you mentioned this from the pulpit not too long ago, okay. and I thought he knows this phrase. I'm not the only person that knows it. Is the comparison is the thief of joy, yeah. which is probably another Brennan Manning thing that I've read. But it also tells me that if I accept someone, then I'm for them, mm. and instead of comparing myself to them, just accept them. I don't have to be. It's okay for me not to be them and them not to be me. Yeah. It takes
1: a lot of pressure off, doesn't it? It does. Once you realize that the the world has a savior and it's not you.
2: Absolutely. Now, do I wish I'd learned that at 30? Yes. But I'm going to stop harping on that and just be glad I know it now.
1: Now that you're 35, you've got
2: it. Yeah, you, okay. That sounds good to you've me. You've got it good <laughs> That sounds good to journey. me, too. You oh, keep that. thinking that. How long you married? <laughs> Paul yeah. about this about I would yeah.
1: preach calves, you yeah. know. Elisa, this has been good. Is there anything else you'd like to share today? No.
2: No, I thank you for asking me to do this. And it, I love doing it because it it's reminded me of some things. When I can, when I feel my heart getting a little hard sometimes, this helps me.
1: I need to go reread Ragamuffin. Oh, it's, it's a, been great, a long time.
2: Yeah, it's a great
1: book. Yeah, I think the first time I read it, I wasn't quite ready for it. Mm-hmm. Like I read it and thought, oh, that's nice.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, mm-hmm. But then when I stumble upon passages of it, it's not, that's nice, it's, oh, wow. yeah,
2: Yeah, and I think as we get older, there's a lot more oh, wows. Absolutely. Yeah, and when you're right, ra- you're going to be raising teenagers here pretty soon. Shut your mouth. <laughs> you shut your mouth, woman. <laughs> sorry. That's <Yeah>. not true. <laughs> you can send them off if you want to, but there's they're still going to be yours, and they're yeah. going to come back. There's a service for that. Yeah. I could, There's something on eBay or Amazon. Yeah, yeah, try that.
1: Uh, uh, yeah, Monica, somebody said, You know, Caleb's going to be in middle school next year. And Monica said, I will beat you right right here and now. You know, know. I'll slap you with a flip-flop. And
2: yeah, nobody says much good things or many good things about middle school. So you don't want your son to no. be associated <laughs> not, with that. That's not okay
1: yet. That's not okay. Well, thank you so much. You're welcome. For sharing your story and pointing us to the love of God and calling out some of the lies that we tend to believe that get written on us that we are not enough or that it depends on us. And uh, I just. We need that reminder every day. I don't know anybody who doesn't. Okay. Well, friends, thanks so much for listening. I hope that you've enjoyed uh, hearing from the good Lisa today. Uh, This has been a lot of fun, and I always enjoy this. And I hope that if you don't mind, you'll take a minute and leave us a rating and review. I hope that you'll share this with a friend because these stories just get more powerful the more times they get told. So until next time, I can't wait to hear what God's up to in your story.
0: Thanks for listening to Rough Drafts. Be sure to subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. While you're at it, help us spread the word by leaving a rating and review. Until next time, let's keep looking for how God writes His love into our stories.